Hello and welcome back to the Untitled Serendipity Podcast by Nick ZH. That's me, I'm Nick ZH. This time I wanted to start with the fact, but this time it is special as it is related to Japan. As some of you may know, and I realize that in almost every single episode so far I've said, as some of you may know, but uh, I am studying Japanese. It is one of my passions. I really love the language and learning parts of it especially kanji, which is a pictogram system of characters used as one of their three alphabets in their writing system. And yeah, so I just really, really love it. And sincerely, if I were to talk about every single new interesting thing or kanji that I discovered relating to Japanese, I would probably pop out an episode a day, but that's pretty niche. And unfortunately, I think I wouldn't have the time to organize that amid my current schedule, and I have, I'm pretty happy with the direction this has been heading so far, so I think I'm going to preserve this and continue with the occasional Japanese fact. For today, this is an obscure Japanese fact, which, talking to several Japanese people, several natives, I have been told that no, nobody actually knows that. Uh, some people have been familiar with it, but know that it's very, very old but I still found it really, really fun and interesting, so I wanted to share. So, in Japan, in the Edo period, there was an expression that is still used in some places, maybe today, it's very obscure, as a, an incantation, something to say when you hear lightning and thunder to avoid the lightning falling on you, as a kind of jinx-breaker. So, the phrase is, Kuabara, kuabara, and to translate that, that means mulberry field, mulberry field, which, I mean, doesn't have very lightning-dodging capabilities off of the bat, but it is broken down in several theories as to how it came up. I'm going to present one of the theories that is the first one that I read and the one that I kind of like the most. There is an in-depth explanation, and uh, there are links in the description. However, as this is something relating to Japan, and as this is already kind of obscure in Japanese itself, uh, the links will be in Japanese. So if you are interested in reading them, and you are interested in learning more about them, please just send me a direct message on nickzh.net or any of the contact forms, and I'll translate them or get back to you with the English or whatever language you speak version. To get back into what that actually means and where it came from, in the Edo period, I'm going to skip over a lot of the different characters. There was a person involved called Sugawara no Michizane, but I am about 90% sure I would get a lot of the facts wrong, especially since I have not revised this enough, and I just give this a cursory reread before getting into the podcast today. And thus, to sum it up a bit more, briefly, right around that time after the man I mentioned, Sugawara no Michizane, was chased out of the capital after some power struggles between the emperor and, or I think, the representatives. Anyway, he essentially was thought to have cursed that area. And afterwards, uh, lightning had fallen directly into the palace and set fire and many people passed away in the fire, so it was thought to have been a curse and there was more lightning falling year-round, and the only places that weren't hit by lightning were the mulberry fields. As such, there came the expression mulberry field, mulberry field, 
kuabara kuabara, which is essentially, you know, little short prayer, I suppose, or a short thing that you say in order to avoid getting hit by lightning. I will absolutely say that I need to read up significantly more on this to learn more about it and to be able to talk more confidently in the future, but for now I wanted to share that. On a separate interesting note, the man I was talking about, Sugawara no Michizane, actually is now one of the patron saints of students. In Japan, many people go to temples during significant periods of their lives to pray for support or to request a patron saint to watch over them, and the temple that students go to right during exam season or whenever they have a big test coming up is Tenmangu, and one of the people that they ask for support from is this man. Now, I couldn't tell you specifically why, as I have not read up on that enough, but I will maybe tell you more in the next episode if I do read more and learn more about it. Speaking of learning, this kind of brings me smoothly into the next subject for today, and the topic I wanted to spend the podcast talking about it's learning and having joy and enjoyment and fun and thrills in learning new things. I find that one of the most exciting parts of my life right now, of course I enjoy work and there's a lot of diversity in it keeping me interested and a lot of challenges with new projects keeping me occupied and trying to think of new solutions, but my favorite part is learning. As I said earlier in the podcast, I'm studying Japanese. The ultimate objective for me is after, hopefully, fingers crossed, passing an entrance exam in November of this year, 2023, uh, I would be heading into university for linguistics in Japan, in Japanese. Uh, which is quite a bit of a challenge, but one of the most fun things to aim for. I've been aiming for this for quite a while now and working since the start of the pandemic, basically sharpening my skills in Japanese and really working to make it a usable life skill and a usable language for myself to not only be able to enjoy and casually talk in, but be able to use and employ in a professional and academic setting. I've made quite a bit of progress and I have so much more to go but I feel like I have achieved a certain level where I can explore and learn new things without having to rely too much on dictionary crutches and things like that, though I still look up vocab all the time and learn new things literally every day, especially with new kanji, because there's thousands of them and thousands of different combinations, well, tens and hundreds of thousands, that you can look at and explore and learn, and it is so interesting for me to do. One of my favorite parts of the day is my daily study, and currently, depending on my workload, my schedule, generally I try to aim for one or two hours as my bare minimum for the day. Hopefully, uh, in a couple of weeks or months, I'll be able to get to about four or five hours a day, but that's an objective I'll have to realistically reevaluate once I actually get to it. I do have another examination in June for kanji called the kanji kente, kanji kente, which is an examination specifically looking at the kanji, and to explain it in English is very difficult since there's no real equivalent. It's essentially like a spelling test on steroids, where you have to spell words, read words, be able to identify the roots of the words, 
and uh, also look at expressions and idioms, fill in the blanks, what they mean, and lots and lots of different other things that you have to basically do and analyze and be very familiar with the kanji themselves to do. I very much look forward to it. It's a lot of study, so I'm working hard daily to get a bit more and a bit more familiar with every kanji that I'm supposed to know. It's a long, long journey, but it's so much fun. It brings me back to, once again, learning and the joy of having new information. I've found that my life experience has also backed up the idea of sometimes when you fall into a routine, things will fly by. Time really does fly, and especially when you are now in a day-to-day -day that you're used to, your body is now accepting it, or rather your mind has now accepted it, and the time will almost merge together until you find something new. When you experience new things, time seems to slow down as your brain, well, physiologically, your brain is taking in new information, so it's slowing down the perception so you can absorb more information. But the fascinating thing with learning and even going outside, one of the reasons I hike and explore new places is that feeling of extended time and feeling like a day has so much time in it instead of feeling like there's not enough hours in a day to do everything that I want. And though I do kind of feel that way, semi-often, too often, there is still this feeling of time kind of extending when you're exploring something new. To me, that is a variety of subjects, Japanese being the main one, because when you're exposed to a language, especially one that is fundamentally different from, I mean, in my case, my Indo-European languages that I grew up with, it makes you reevaluate it. You not only have the language that you're exposed to now, you also have its culture. So it's not just the same as taking English, directly translating it, and just speaking that way. Of course, you'll get very far if you're able to do that very well, but it's not going to take you all the way because you also have to learn about the culture of how people speak, how people express themselves, what do they express. Every single language, I mean, even for the languages that I do speak and have spoken for most of my life, Russian, French, and English, and even German to an extent, the way that you express yourself and the way that your brain sort of builds ideas and outputs what you want to say and the ideas that are in your brain changes. It's not necessarily fundamentally different, but I would say that to an extent my personality does change a bit from language to language. The way that I speak changes a bit from language to language. That's also influenced by how you learned it, whether you're learning in an academic setting or you're learning among friends or it's the language you grew up with in all settings, or if it's the language you just grew up with in your family. It's interesting. But if you have this learning and you have an objective that you can set for yourself, in my case, these are the examinations that I can pass, eventually university that I'll be into, and also for me, a very big objective is for the uh, kanken or the kanjikente, the big exam that I'm taking this, uh, this year. I want to pass the final grade for it within the next 10 years. Now, so far as of the recording of this podcast, 
episode, only three foreigners have passed, and within Japan itself there is a 10% passing rate for this exam. So, it's a lot. It's a lot to learn, it's very, very difficult, extraordinarily difficult, and you learn a lot of knowledge that natives don't necessarily need. And you don't really necessarily need yourself in Japanese. But it's an objective that I set myself to be in the background so that I can always have some learning to do. Of course, I think that with university, with so much other stuff going on, and in my day-to-day, -day, I'm very lucky to be able to continue studying and just expand my knowledge as much as I can. One of my favorite things in general is when I meet new people, I learn about what they're passionate about, and I learn a bit more about that thing. If you meet someone who is extremely passionate about classical literature, and they light up and talk about classical literature, you come off that having a new appreciation and seeing classical literature through a new lens. And I feel that passion in Japanese for myself personally. As I said earlier, if I start talking about this, and if you've been around me when I start talking about this, you know that one of the first things out of my mouth when I do start is, now please shut me up if I've gone on for too long, because it's one of the subjects I can genuinely talk for hours and hours and hours about. There is so much to it. And there is so much to so many other things. I've started relearning history and geography in preparation for the exam. Uh, I've been studying maths and economics and English literature again in school as a part of my diploma, which I am going to talk about in another episode, I think, in terms of time. And so much more. The joy of learning is learning itself, and there is so much that you can discover. And I think one of the benefits of the internet is that there are so many resources to discover it. If you are able to just find new people who can teach you things and explore so many different options and different niches and different fields of knowledge, I think that you can really grow and you can really motivate yourself and you can find this sort of balance. Now on learning, one of the reasons I started this podcast is to physically share some of the stuff that I learned. The part about the interesting fact is entirely just made up of that. It's something that I learned that week that I want to share. There's always something interesting I find out, and honestly, like I said, I could go on about Japanese endlessly, but I want to keep some diversity so that there's something interesting for everyone who listens to it. Something for the history buffs, for the etymology buffs, for other stuff. Mostly I will focus on language stuff since that's what I learn the most about in my personal time. It's my passion and kind of something that I research a lot and that I encounter in work. But yeah, that's sort of the plan. Now, as I don't want this podcast to drag on too much, I might continue the conversation next week. But thank you once again for tuning in to the Untitled Serendipity Podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you've used this as a sleeping aid, I hope that you are now seeing beautiful dreams of mulberry fields, unencumbered by lightning. If you're using this as background to do chores, I hope that you have completed them, are well on your way, and have aced it and made it beautiful and clean. More if you've just put this on in transit, I hope that you have enjoyed your journey. If you would like to find me, you can find me at nixieh.net, my projects, what I do, and if you'd like to work with me, or you can check the description for more information and the links about today's facts. Thank you for listening, and have a good one.